Hello, naughty boys and girls. You're listening to Masocast. This program is for those 18 and older. And you're listening to Nina Payne from the Dommy Dolls at www.dommydolls.com. Thank you for downloading another Masocast. Uh, before we get down to the, uh, the big stuff here, we've got some listener emails for you. Uh, of course, you can email Masocast at gmail.com. You can also just click the little form there on Masocast.com. It'll give you all the, uh, you know, your details or whatever. Let's, okay, here's just a few random ones. There's been quite a few different ones lately. Um, I have discovered the podcast a few weeks ago, and I'm enjoying it very much. I'm from Israel. I've spread the word about the podcast in our scene, but not all of our members are comfortable with listening to a non-Hebrew podcast. If it's possible, I would like your permission to translate the selected episodes to our non-English speaking community members. Publication would be in local BDSM forms as well as full credit to the source. Yes, that would be so cool. I could get the podcast translated into Hebrew. So there's two, two things, two, two, two conditions. Number one, you make it free. And two... You make peace with the Palestinians. Those two things, those two small things, can you imagine? It'd be a kinky podcaster done what no, no president could have done before. You know? So, uh, well, hey, you know, that's, that's cool. So one step closer to peace. And go ahead. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, next one here. Uh, got this email on FetLife. FetLife username Massacast. M-A-S-O-C-A-S-T. Hey, just wanted to express my appreciation for your Massacast podcast. My wife and I have been enjoying them whenever we drive somewhere without the kids, of course. Your guests and topics are fascinating. You have a wonderful ease as an interviewer. Wow, thank you very much. Um, Listening to your podcast have become a shared joy and start of fruitful conversations. Please keep it going. You're very kind. And I believe this person also made a donation afterwards, which was even more super kind. Speaking of kindness, uh, last listener email I'm going to read here. Um, and this one also, you know, always very welcome. Here we go. Here's the email. Quote, I hate, hate, hate the way your Massacast blog automatically jumps to the next, i.e. prior podcast. Being a control freak, I wanted to tell you, tell it where to go and what to do next. So just for the record, I hate, hate it. I hate it. I totally effing hate it. Hate, hate Hate, hate, hate. It's like fucking Congress, both houses. That person probably knows that I'm a liberal and was, you know. Um, one of the few places in my life I have any delusions of control is the internet, and you took that away. Stop it. Well, first of all, I should say congratulations for having the highest number of the word hate in any email I've received. The previous record held by my mother, by the way. Second of all... um, Thank you for your constructive criticism. Actually, this person, I should be fair. This person, I email back and forth. I know who this person is. Nice guy. Maybe you just had a bad day or something like that. But, um, uh, yeah, we talked it over. And I will change that. I will change that. And, in fact, I appreciate any comments you have about the website. I've been making a lot of changes lately. Um, and, frankly, I haven't had time to go and make any of the big changes yet because I've been, you know, day, i got a day job. I've got, I've got the stuff that pays the bills that i got to take care of. But, um this just goes to show. I appreciate. I did appreciate that email. I even got a little kick out of it, even though clearly, you know, he wrote it probably in. You know, he probably just had a bad day. I'm guessing, but um, but yes, uh, I would love to hear comments, hate, love, whatever about the the new design of the Massacast website and suggestions because you know I'm not the God's gift to website design. Um, again, that that record's held by my mom. That's. 
So this episode uh, is uh, is a conversation with Jefferson, who's someone who I've known in the scene off and on. You know, we've had conversations off and on throughout well, the past five years, six years, or something like that. Um, finally got him in to, to record an episode. This guy is has a lot of stuff going on. I had a long conversation. Actually, I had to cut the conversation to under an hour. It was originally going to be over an hour, but um, I, I'm, I'll do part two, you know, down the road somewhere. And... Um, yeah, it was it was a really interesting conversation. You'll hear all about it here. He also started a recently started a uh, uh, storytelling series. If you're familiar with the Moth uh, storytelling series, he's you know starting his own sexual version of that, basically. Um, or or another great one that's similar to that is uh, Bedpost Confessions, which uh, our friend Mia is associated with, friend of the show. Uh, but you can find all the details about him on the Massacast website, massacast.com. Uh, so here it is, my conversation with Jefferson. Well, my, uh, my marriage of 15 years ended in 2003. Right. And uh, during my marriage, I was monogamous. And uh, while I, I, I thought about sexuality and I thought about sex, uh, I didn't have a, a life that was very much involved with sex. And so when I was newly single, I was dating for the first time since college. And I realized that I'd never really dated in my entire life. When I was in high school, I was rather slutty and I slept with my friends and my friends slept with me. And if I kept sleeping with the same person for a while, that was my girlfriend. And you go to high school. I hear people who talk about these stories. I'm like, this is nothing like the high school. Uh, I went, I, I'll, I'll come back to that, but I went to, okay. a, I went to a high school where that was possible. Right. Um, but when I met my, uh, my future ex-wife, I, I thought, she wanted to be monogamous and I thought well that's what you do when you grow up so I put aside childish things and I became monogamous and we got married and when we divorced I'd only been with the same woman for 15 years and uh, largely without sex so when I started dating uh, I was I, I was dating in New York City in the turn of the 21st century uh, turning into my middle age I was 39 at the time uh, and everything seemed new and alien like all the things that people talk about as being weird about dating, I was experiencing full throttle. It was like Rip Van Winkle waking up and not understanding how modern life worked. And dating in New York is also very unique compared to dating elsewhere. Well, I, I had never really dated. I just, I, I just, you know, had sex with my friends. And when that ended, I was gone for 15 years and I come back and I'm in New York City. There's online dating. There was Friendster. Right. There were all these crazy things that to be investigated. And I kind of revisited certain aspects of my adolescent life. Like I got back into having sex with men, which I hadn't done since I was a kid. Uh, I had sex with uh, multiple, like in groups. Uh, I was, I was very quickly dating seven or eight women, you know, having sexual sleepover dates uh, at a time that I had joint custody, which meant when I broke down how a month worked for me, a month is about 30 days sure. at 15 days i'm with the kids in about 15 days i'm free to do what i do and if you're dating eight women and you're having sleepovers well that's like two sleepovers per person a month and i'm trying to schedule all that and thinking right. about that meanwhile i'm hooking up with guys some of the women think it's hot that i'm with guys others are like you know don't know what to make of that right and i didn't know what to make of any of it so i i had a few friends that I could uh, talk to about this. I could talk to my friend Marcus. I could talk to my friend Adacia Ray. And I could talk to a woman that I knew from college that I was then dating, uh, who I blogged as May. And every day I'm telling them stories about what happened the night before. And Marcus especially was great in drawing out 
he understood this because he had also been married and monogamous for a long time. He was also bisexual. We'd known each other for 20 years. And he was great in hearing these stories. So every morning I'm driving to work on the phone talking to a few people and writing notes uh, in the evening. And uh, one day... I sent a note to uh, about a particularly amazing date. I was going to go to a museum with somebody I really had a crush on. I wound up spending the weekend together. Uh, I wrote a note about that to Audacia, and she said, uh, you have blog envy. You should start a blog. (laughs) And this is 2004. It's November of 2004. And I, I knew she had a blog, but I otherwise didn't know what a blog was. And so... She came over one after one evening, and uh, we had a couple of bourbons. And she sat down at my computer, and she got she set everything up for me. And the next day, I took that email I wrote to her, and I put it in the blog. But I thought of blogs then as something akin to like a like a, a safety deposit box in a bank. It would be a place to put your stories, and you'd know where they were later. Right. I knew it was online. I knew people, it was live, and that people could find it. But I had no idea how anybody would find one blog as opposed to any other website. So I just thought, you know, I'd read it. A few friends that I told about it would read it. Whoever wanted to read it or found it could read it. But I expected to have a readership of like four or five people. Sure. But it very quickly took off, and people read my blog. And it was, I was, you know, I was two months in before I got, a, I was contacted by a woman who liked the blog and said she wanted to hook up with me right. from, from the way I, I was like, you want to, you want to have sex with me because you like the way I write. Right. Yeah. I mean, people have had sex with me because they like the way I look or they think I'm funny or they think I'm smart or because I'm convenient. Right. But to have somebody want to have sex with me because of the way I write, that's hot. Well, so <laughs> I had the exact opposite experience when I was writing. Well, I still have the blog, but I don't, do it as much because I've got so many other things going on. But also, the whole point of the blog kind of was my experience in trying to find someone for a relationship, specifically a dominant, right? Or just to play even at times. And I would get those emails, but it would be, um, it it was like almost like the exact opposite. You are so desperate. I, you know, they were like, almost like pity emails. Sort of like, I'm so very sad that uh, when I read your blog, here's my vagina. You know, that, that was a good type of... <laughs> I, re- I remember that period in your writing, and, I, and I, I fell into the same trap because I, you know, I got to know you before you were happily and contentedly right. set up in your, in your romantic situation. And there was something about the way you wrote, and there, was some, there, were, there weren't that many blogs at the time, and uh, at least that I was aware of, and sure. I was aware of most of them, I think, uh, that were sexual. But reading it, I was like drawn into your story. I'm like, you know... New boy in the city needs to find true love, and I think so many people were drawn to you in, the, in that respect of like, well, let's help him find true love, or right. you know, we're going to make that thing happen for him. And that was very sweet. That was very, and I ended up made, and that was the amazing thing is, and I'm sure you probably experienced this as well. You made so many friends, yeah. because of this thing that you just kind of start on a whim, right? Yeah, and then you start doing the, the you know the sex blogging community. Who knew there was like a sex blogging community? Those words, you know, I just never would have imagined those things would go together, but. It began to it began to come together um, in part because we all made it happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like like you had an independent blog, and I found your blog, and you found mine, and so we got to know each other's stories before we knew each other personally. In when I started my blog, because I was meeting people through my blog, I was, and this is like two thousand four, two thousand five. I would meet people. We would have sex, and they would think blogging was pretty cool. So they'd go off and they'd start their own blog. And then I was also already, you know, hosting orgies before I even started blogging. Right. So at first, I wasn't telling anybody that I was having sex with about my blog because I wanted the blog to be honest. I want to be able to say, you know, went on a bad date or whatever, not hurt sure. somebody's feelings. Um, but 
it was because I started dating Shelby, who was the first person I started dating from the blog, and she wanted to come check out the parties. Somebody asked her at the very first party she came to, like, well, how did you meet Jefferson? And she's like, through his blog. Right. And it was my friend Tigger, and she turned to me and said, you have a blog? And then it was just out. And so pretty soon people were at the party, were writing their own blogs. People that I met independent of the party were starting blogs, and... Uh, people were meeting me so that they could write about me in their blog and I would write about them in my blog and all these cross posts were happening and all this stuff was happening. And so in that period of, of, you know, roughly 2005, 2007, 2008, um, what, what would be called a sex blog community, at least as I experienced, it was largely people I knew who were all writing about each other. Did you, did you find the people who were sleeping with you because of the blog, um, that they had their own preconceived notion or that maybe, because I, I found this to be maybe my fault or I don't know what it was. I would meet someone. We would hang out or something like that. We'd meet through the blog or like that. We'd hang out and it would be strictly platonic and it would be like, go ahead of time, like, listen, this is strictly platonic. When they'd meet me, they'd, ha- they'd go, Wait, this is not what I thought it would be. You know, they, 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 they thought I would be like something else. Or, did you experience anything similar? Were they, did they... They kind of painted a picture of you that wasn't exactly reality, and you maybe had to. So I'm like, wait, I'm not like this, or, or I mean, I've... well, I, 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 what I found, and it wasn't, in, it wasn't quite intentional. I wrote stories, I write stories still uh, that are true. These are things that really happened, and I write them to the best of my ability, and um, they record a certain reality. Now I'm not a tape recorder. It isn't like just having a video camera on my life. Right. I'm putting a story together but i never exaggerate i never fabricate these are things that truly happen to me but i realized kind of early on that and i I would give people the basics of descriptions of myself or of other people if it was relevant so i might say that i had a date with someone who had red hair or i might i i'm open about my age my height my weight uh, the color of my hair and so on but i would plug these things in but i found that it was far more interesting that people were creating their own realities around it so without intending to i've found that i'd created a persona right that people created themselves in their own minds right. based on the words that i put on the page and or, or like the words you didn't put on the page more so it's almost like the stuff you left out they filled in Exactly, and I found that it, the, the less I said about things like personal appearance, the the more the better. Because my I regard the I came to regard the writing that I was doing uh, as, as diaristic, as memoirist, but also as escapist literature for the person reading it. Yeah. They want to be at that orgy. Yeah, and as just as soon as you say, you know, she was hot, she was tall. Somebody's going to read it and go like, well, I don't like hot girl, uh, tall girls. Right. And, and then you already cut off somebody's fantasy. Right. So the less descriptive stuff you give them about the person very often help them to fill out their own fantasy. Sure. Which meant that I, I very rarely, I mean, I, if I met people through the blog, I was probably having sex with them. Because right. I wasn't making pers- uh, public appearances or anything. But when I would meet people, I would very often hear things like, oh, I thought you had dark hair, or I thought you were taller, or I thought you were shorter, or I thought you were older, or I thought you were younger. But And, I, and it's like, I had logged in all that information at some point. Right. But when they were reading it when they were getting hot to it, when they were getting wet to it or masturbating to it, uh, they had their own Jefferson in their mind. And sure. it, was, it wasn't me. It, they, was, it, it was the words that they put in their head and did their things with. And they were imagining what turned them on most yeah. as, as plugged in, right? So if you said, oh, the room was filled with 20 people, all of them hot, you know, someone who is into 
brunettes, just imagine a room full of brunettes. Right? Sure, sure. That's their fantasy. Right. I supply the, the base material right. from from reality, from that's, my life. But really they, they get their fantasy out of my reality. That's really interesting. Did, did, you, did you ever find yourself saying, okay, now I'm going to add as many details as possible to try to see if there's a different reaction? Or Well, I, I sometimes would, would play with that a little bit. Because one, one thing that... Uh, surprised me early on in my dating experience, this is even before I started blogging, was that I was having sex with much younger people. Uh, much young, Not much younger, but because I, I was like 39. I had a, a date with a woman, and uh, I had a date with a couple. Well, I had an orgy with a couple, and I wound up dating them for a while. And I was on a date with a woman, and she was over at my place, and I was making dinner, and she kept referring to me as old man. She's like, hey, old man, old man this, old man right. that. And I was like, at one point, I just stopped her and I said, why do you keep calling me old man? I'm not that old. I'm 39. Yeah. And she's like, well, you're older than I am, dude. And I was like, am I so much older than you? And she's like, well, how old do you think I am? And I was like, I don't know, 30? And she's like, dude, I'm 22. <laughs> and it blew my mind. Right. It blew my mind. The next day, I was on the phone with Marcus. I was at uh, on break at, at my job. And I was like, oh, my God. She's like 17 years younger than me. This is crazy. You're like, I'm going to have to start carting people. I know. <laughs> I had, I mean, I had no, absolutely no idea. Because right. it was all new to me. When I started dating, I, uh, I, I thought, I'm probably going to be dating younger people because I was about to hit 40 and everybody I knew in their 40s was married. I only knew married couples because those were my friends and my acquaintances. Uh, so I assumed I'd be dating people in their 30s or something. But so when I when I wrote about it, I began to sort of realize that people were having reactions about, of, of all things. Sure. I was writing about all kinds of different aspects of dating, but about um, age differences. And so one time I, I, I thought, I'm going to set this up. I'm going to see what happens. Because I'd had a fellow coming to my party because uh, I was doing at the time uh, all male parties and then these mixed bi parties, and I had a, a story in which I hooked up with a guy who was younger and he's about twenty or something, and just just overwhelmingly positive response that it was like oh you know that's really hot that sounds like a really hot story I'd really love to see two guys get together, and then I wrote about a story about going on a date with a woman who was the same age. And got a little bit of negative response, like you know, you shouldn't date girls who are that much younger than you, yeah. and it's a little, you know, it's a little off. And by this point, I was still dealing with my own sure. uh, feelings about what that meant. I went from my initial freak out about it to being like, well, you know, these are the people who are drawn to me. And also, if I was meeting people through the blog, I think readers of blogs, at least at that time, were typically younger. And it would be ta- it, there would be it would be a little while, but it would happen that I was meeting also through the blog or being contacted through the blog, whether for dates or just for just to talk people who are going through divorce in middle age. And so people reading the blog might think that I had a certain fixation on one thing, but really a lot of it has to do with me responding to how people were responding to it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I would kind of follow what, what got readers off, but also got what got readers' responses. It's also uh, an interesting aspect of, of, who, like you said, you mentioned who reads it. Because blogs, you could go up to someone who's our age... I mean, I'm I'm thirty oh crap thirty six now, mm-hmm. and I can go up to someone my age and say podcasting. They'd have no clue what, the, what a podcast was. Right. You know, they would have no clue. It might it might have something to do with the medium itself. Yeah. Right. And it also could have something to do with um, someone who's less experienced might be even more drawn to that. Right. You know, someone who's never experienced an orgy or who might be. Because they are more exposed to 
more adventurous sex online, they might be more prone to seek out more adventurous sex. You know, that might that could be a possibility. I guess before mm-hmm. I, before I started blogging and before I back when I was married, I mean, what I had always heard, which made a lot of sense to me, was that a lot of a lot of the people you would encounter in BDSM or in swinger communities would be middle-aged people. Mm-hmm. People who had been in a couple for a long time. Uh, the kids were now older, getting out of the house. Right. Now they wanted to explore other things. They'd heard about this thing, and they would go to these these things as a couple. Sure. And that's really what I expected would be the reality of that. I, I, I don't speak with any special expertise in this except for my experience. But what one if if that was true, one thing that changed was... The internet changed things. People's uh, exposure to things, uh, to these ideas, uh, changed. Uh, this was happening in New York City. I can't speak to whatever what happens everywhere else, but I began to be out in a world where inexperienced people showing up, curious about these realities, might be nineteen or might be forty five, and just in, in newly divorced. Right. And so we all kind of wind up in the same place where. It's the first time you flogged somebody. It's the first time you've been flogged. But the distinction of age doesn't matter as much as necessarily the distinction of experience. That's true. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. And also, someone who is 45, recently divorced, uh, might react in a completely different way, who's being, say, flogged for the first time, as someone who's 19 and is sort of a clean slate and don't, don't have any predilections either way against it, right? Yeah. That's really interesting. It'd be really interesting to see how that would, how people would react about that. Like, this is, what, this is what makes me think, you know, from now on, if you ever meet someone, give them, like, a survey to fill out afterwards. You know, like, like <laughs> here, can I just care? How did you find out about us? You know, that's one of those <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, uh if we can if we can just kind of briefly move a little bit towards orgies okay cuz this is let's invite a few people over I mean, like, hey, hey. i've always wondered about how do you kind of start how does one start an orgy you know you got to have a guest list i imagine you've got to have i mean how do you even plan that i've had so many people asking this question emailing me hey i'm curious how to start and i thought perfect guy to ask well i will tell you um when when I was in high school, uh, orgies were I I I, I kind of found it possible to initiate group activity through a number of circumstances, uh, but primarily because we had a pool, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so you if you get a bunch of teenagers and a pool and a twelve pack of Budweiser, right. you basically have an orgy right, sure. just waiting to happen. But most of the group sex or threesomes or orgies that I had. Uh, previous to my entry into monogamy were along those lines. They were sort of spontaneously occurred with, but primarily with friends, the right. people that I knew. And, uh, you know, we, we, we were comfortable doing this kind of thing. I took a lot of baths with my friends right. in high school. Uh, when I got out of, when my marriage ended, I, I had, I had a friend with an art gallery and the art gallery had a bar and it had space for, uh, dancing and he was looking for ways to get people and this was this in Williamsburg and he had a he wanted to get people to come there to socialize in addition to coming there to see art and I was there one afternoon having a glass of wine with him just to, just after my marriage ended and I was I said well how about this how about you have an underwear party 
and uh, people can come to the party and they strip their clothes off and they put them in a bag and they strip to their underwear and they pay $5 to come in. And if you want to come in and not take your clothes off, you charge them $100. Right. And we'll have a DJ and the bar and we'll have everybody with sketching pads and they'll draw each other. And uh, then after everybody's drawn each other and stuff, we'll put the drawings up, we'll critique them and then they can dance all night long. This was enormously successful. This was <laughs> this was a huge hit. It was, in fact, it was there that I first met Molly Crabapple. Um, who to this day continues something called Dr. Sketchies, which I think was inspired by the experience of, of, of this in 2003. Um, but it was a great fun. And I was one night we were closing the place up and all of us putting our clothes back on. And uh, I'd been hanging out a lot with a couple and they just said, you know, let's go get us some food or something. Let's go to a diner. And we talked to some other people who were just leaving and they, we all agreed to go to diners. We all had cars. And so we piled in, I think two cars and we were driving back into Manhattan and the, this woman and the couple that I was hanging out with said to me, you know, I'd really like to go someplace where we can just take our clothes off again. And I said, well, I've got an apartment and I've got food. Why don't we go there? So we went to my place and, uh, I went to my kitchen to just sort of pull out some food. I had some hummus and some dip and some olives and I opened some wine and I come back out in the living room and everybody's back down to their underwear. And I stripped down to my underwear and put the food on the coffee table. And the woman in the couple, uh, there was this hippie couple that had met that night. And she's like, you guys are really macking on each other. And they said, yeah, yeah, she's really hot. Oh, I really like this guy. And she says, well, that's cool. Why don't you guys, you know, why don't you give him a blowjob or something? And I was like, I and, and sure enough, they, they climb up on the coffee table and he takes down his pants and he, she just starts sucking his dick. And I'm, I'm, I'm like watching this and they're on my coffee table having sex. And I, I just, I'm pushing aside the hummus and the dip and stuff. And I'm, you know, this is just happening right here in my living room. And then while they start having, they're having, you know, the blowjob thing is happening on my coffee table. The couple that I've been hanging out with just start fucking right here next to me on the couch. And I'm watching this and the woman looked at me and said are, are you worried about us staining your couch and i was like no not at all just, you know <laughs> go right ahead right and pretty soon we all wind up in my bedroom and this rockabilly looking guy starts fooling around with the woman and the couple and soon he's fucking her and i'm like did they really just meet tonight and they're fucking and her boyfriend is right there she, i mean this woman is like cradled in her boyfriend's arms and he, another guy's having sex with him her and uh they they kind of take a break and the boyfriend looks at me and says like well do you want to fuck my girlfriend and i'm like do i want to fuck your girlfriend i hadn't had sex with another woman a woman other than my wife in the last 15 years sure. so i was like well yeah yeah i'll oh, fuck your girlfriend sure. sure so he said get a condom go right ahead and, she, and she's like yeah man do it and I'm like, I, I don't have any condoms. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have condoms. <laughs> right. like, you know, and, and he's like, well, here, take one of mine. And he hands me this, like, gold package. Yeah. And I'm like, I put it on. And I'm, I'm fucking his girlfriend while he's, like, hugging her. And I'm a little freaked out by this whole thing, you know, because... It's kind of happening randomly like It's this, happening right. in my home. There's this... I'm fucking someone who's not my wife. Uh, she, her boyfriend is holding her. I'm not even sure what her name is. Some other dude was just fucking her. And uh, I just... I mean... I'll, I'm just like I'll, I'm starting to kind of like you know 
freak out a little bit and she's like well what's wrong and i'm like i don't know i don't know i just said i don't know if i'm feeling or feeling this you know and the boyfriend says well maybe the condom's kind of big because i gave you a magnum and i'm like i'm looking at him and i'm looking at him and i'm like is his dick really bigger than mine i mean if you, if you can't get a heart on the thought that like maybe your dick isn't big enough right. isn't the most conducive thing of course right yeah uh, but i you know we, we sort of took a took a break from that for a while and while we were taking a break um the woman said, the woman said, you know, you have a lot of books. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I read a lot. And she's like, you know, you'd really like my mom. I think my mom would be really into you. And the rockabilly guy says, dude, you could totally fuck her mom. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is happening is in my this? home? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I wound up keeping in touch with the couple. And um, that's what started the orgy. You know, that's what started it. We, they knew some people. They were swingers. Clearly. And uh, I was open to things. And I started meeting people and I talked to people that I knew and I talked I put on ads on Craigslist and begin to build out a list right and that's what got my uh, my orgy started see it would be times like that where this is a clear difference between you and I because while someone was getting a blowjob on a table and someone else is having sex on the couch I would have just, I would have tried to think okay what's the most awkward thing I can say right now you guys have got to try this hummus. You know, there's nobody going to try the hummus. I'm just going to put it away if you guys aren't having it. It was homemade hummus, though. Yeah, see, I mean, you know, you I'm not going to deny them that. So for those people, it's on the subject of orgies, mm-hmm. on the subject of orgies, for those people who want to start their own, mm-hmm. actually, I've got a friend who's trying to start their own. Mm-hmm. What, what advice can you give for people? You, you, would you say they should go out and explore orgies as well? Or... They should just kind of start a list by building, you know, doing something on Craigslist. Or what would you suggest? Well, my my own orgy, uh, which has been going on now for about eight years, uh, grew out of a few things. One was uh, desire. I wanted to have group sex again after the experiences of my high school and adolescent years. Uh, opportunity. I was single. I was meeting people who had been to these kind of parties and had a few ideas about how to go about it. Um, but also kind of a determination like uh, and and a reaction to something else because i'd been to swinger clubs or thing in in the city or swinger parties in the city and i was i had fun i was put off by a few things one that you must be a couple to go a man can't go by himself a, a couple can go and be charged $100 $120 <laughs> A single female can go for free. Right. I didn't like this for a number of reasons. One, I'm male, so I can't go by myself. I have to get a date. And for many guys, that's just a stopping point right there. They don't know a woman they can go with. Right. Um, My girlfriend can go with me, and we can each chip in 60 bucks, or I can take her as a date at 120. Uh, She can take me for 120. Um, Or she can just go by herself and go for free. So why does she want me there? And that's a problem for me, that, that swinger model for price uh, is a is a problem for so many reasons, not just be, uh, but primarily because it 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 devalues people's sexuality and commodifies their sexuality. Right. You know. So like, you male sexuality is kind of ugly and forbidden. It's you, you can't come in by yourself. F- forget that. Right. If you have a woman, great. If you if you can come up with one hundred twenty dollars, that's a screening process. Right, you know, right. you've got a woman in one hundred twenty dollars. You must be cool. <laughs> right. All women, or you've got a prostitute. One of the two. A lot of swinger clubs in the city. Actually, that's true. Right. Um, all women always totally cool. Yeah. Totally cool. There's not no reason to come up with money, which means that that women are basically a commodity being traded in the swinger community. I had a problem with that. Uh, 
I had a problem too with the attitude, the double standard about bisexuality. I'm bisexual. I, I like to have sex with men and with women. And I like to be in a space where that's comfortable. In most swinger parties, uh, bisexuality, there's a double standard. Women are presumed to be bisexual, whether they are or aren't. So at some point, if you go to, if you're a woman, and you go to a swinger party with your boyfriend. At some point, you got to lick somebody's pussy to get things going with the other couple. Right, that's going to happen, and you may not like it, but that's just what it is. Whereas two guys, if they touch each other, it's like, oh, dude, sorry, I accidentally touched you. You know, I mean, I I've met I've met guys who can't <laughs> who are anxious about things like double penetration because it means their penis will touch another penis and i'm right. like yeah yeah but it, but inside a vagina right exactly you know i mean exactly. that's not gay right right <laughs> and, and truthfully i think the the gayest thing i've ever heard of is is one guy saying to another fuck my wife i mean that's that's really gay <laughs> right. but so i the money the couple's only thing the double standard of bisexuality i looked at all that and i thought i can have my own party it can be bi friendly. It can. I don't have to charge. You, I can bring in singles, and I can maintain the gender ratio on my own and keep it at a comfortable place. I can screen people individually, and not just by how much money they can come up with. And that was the party I wanted to have. And my what I say to people is, if you if you don't see the party that you want to go to out there, it's your job to make that party happen. Right. And so I started my own party, and and how I the. The how you got the people part was largely just getting to know people, uh, meeting them through a number of different circumstances, whether online, going to other parties, um, t- talking to friends who might want to try something for the first time. Most people who come to my party all the over all these years have come to their first orgy through me. Right. They're having their first one. So there's a certain kind of responsibility that comes with that. We have uh, rules that we've written down that uh are very some of it's very basic very basic stuff about consent uh that you think everybody knows but you just you need to say it because not everybody gets it um basic rules like you know no photography or that kind of thing uh i talk to people about how to approach someone they're interested in how to deal with rejection uh how to spend time in conversation and stuff like that um, and then there's the the logistical matters. I mean, you, you know, uh, uh, an orgy space needs to have a lot of sheets, <laughs> plenty of towels right. and washcloths, uh, condoms everywhere, which means you also want trash receptacles everywhere. Right. Lots of water, lube. Uh, uh, lube, of course, but lots of water and things that are replenishing for food, like watermelon or cucumbers and that kind of thing. Right. How do you find the right people? Because one thing I, I will say on the ben- for the benefit of those who say you got to be a couple, maybe not single female, but you have to be a couple, is that if you're crazy, you're going to have to at least find another crazy person to go with you, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So, the, but at the same time, if you're completely batshit insane, the odds of you finding someone else to go with you uh, are kind of slim, right? So isn't that itself a, a way to keep the batshit insane people out? No, it's a really poor screening process. Because really? people, I mean, uh, you know, Couples, couples can have their own kind of craziness whether or not they go to orgies or not. And I, I think that screening for your party is incumbent upon the host or hosts to to take care of. And if you can, as in, it, the, the most personal way you can take care of that process is meeting them and talking to them, and that's just the best. And to and to sort of control your own acquisitive instincts. So if you think I want to have the biggest party ever. Or I want to get a party done this weekend. Right. Or I want to have the hottest people. Or something like that that's going to like blind you to problems you might encounter with the people you're meeting. Um, 
you're you're making a mistake that you may regret later. You might be having the last party. You that's right. Yeah. And and also be, be, being clear with yourself though about where you're going with this party. Like, it, think about it. If, if you're if you're doing it with friends, talk about it. Um, what what's your impetus? Where do you want to be if this party takes off? Where do you want to be in six months? Right. So if you w- want to have a party where, for example, uh, BDSM play is a part of it, then you should be thinking that I want to be recruiting from people who feel the same way. They're curious about it. They're involved in it. They've been very experienced in it. Whatever you want to build that out from the beginning and not suddenly have people bring floggers out at a party where everybody thinks that's weird. Right. You know, um, just as I said, like, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody should have a party where male bisexuality is welcome, but I wanted to, sure. you know, and I wouldn't have had a party otherwise. When people are doing stuff that you don't really approve of and you kind of have to either kick them out or st- stop them from whatever they're doing, did that ever happen? Did you ever get into those situations or did you know enough about the people who you were inviting that that really never happened? Uh, when it, especially when I was first starting, I was screening so closely yeah. and it was like word of, but I trusted people's word of mouth right. and I, uh, even with my best friends, I learned like I, I should get to know the other person regardless of that that uh, that reference. Um, in the, f- the first several years of doing this, I I honestly I, I'm not I, I was I was never going to be kicking somebody out or put off by their sexuality because I was I, I was very open about you know things coming in. Uh, that were what people were into. I was like, look, the more people bring what they want to this place, the more the happier I am because I've created a safe place for sure. them to do their thing. Um, I was very strong on safer sex. Uh, I if people are fluid bonded and they come to my party and I know them, I know them and they know that fluid bonded. I'm not going to enforce them to use condoms, but uh, they're available to everybody. And I really did strongly uh, lean on that. In the first few years, I only had to kick out two people one woman because her behavior was peculiar and she wasn't disclosing her sexual uh, her sdis and she was she just refused to do so right. um and one fellow who kept trying to recruit women to be in his private porn films and it just put people off right and i was like you know dude you just can't do that but you just walk up to him and say, hey listen i'm I'm doing a new film. It's like, like a 1940s, you know, recruiter. I'm doing this great new film. Exactly. Beaver Snatch 12. You'd be perfect for it. <laughs> Precisely that. Right. It, was like, it was like he thought he thought he was in a place where there were all these sexually available women. And it's uh, like, these are not sexually available right. women. These are individuals at a party. Right. And he was basically using it as his own recruiting tool. And, I'm, you know, I've encountered that a few times and I've had to correct it. I'm like, really? if, you're, if you're here to get people to go to your thing... That's just tacky. Yeah, that's it's yeah. It's just gauche. I mean, that's just that's most of the time the best behavior you can bring to any party. If you were invited to a dinner party, you put on your best behavior. You think about what conversations you might want to sure. have. You you eat politely at the table. You talk to this person, you talk to that person. Take that same behavior to the orgy. What well, see, I these friends of mine who were 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 doing this, I was I get I'm I'm sort of as a person I will always kind of assume the worst. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but I'll assume the worst. So that, that was one of the first things I brought up was how do you get per- someone to leave, right? Because the first thing I imagine is you're going to have this kinky orgy. It's going to be open to different all of these different types of kinks. And you know there's going to be one guy who shows up and he starts laying down pictures of Wilford Brimley that he wants to shit on, right? <laughs> and you're going to I know say, that guy. Right. There's going to be some guy. <laughs> and you're like, sir, you can't do What? This is my thing. You know? Yeah. That's the first thing that pops in my head is... Is how do you tell the guy? Sorry, you're gonna have to shit on Wilford Brimley somewhere else. You know. 
Uh, well, I guess I haven't really encountered that. No. I, mean, I just <laughs> imagine this would be, you know... Maybe I, I have so many friends who are pro-doms who've told me so many yeah. odd stories. So I know that there's just about everything out there you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I, I, um, I haven't encountered people wanting to do things that I thought were just, you know, going to turn the crowd so badly. The, the, the one change that, that happened at my party... Um, that took it in a new direction was uh, in I'd been having my orgy uh, beginning in 2003. In 2006, I went to Dark Odyssey and I met Lolita Wolf, and began we began to see each other. And I was exposed to kink in an entirely new way. I was I saw it in an entirely new light. Yeah. It wasn't simply something that those people did that was okay. It's something that I was doing and I was learning about and I was being taught by somebody who's really good. Yeah. And and she started coming to the parties. And I knew that for some people it might be weird or different or strange to have floggings and ropes and stuff brought out. So I would just openly say to people, we're going to go in the next room and do some flogging. Right. So if you're curious about that, come check it out. Right. You might, you know, you might want to, to see what it looks like and talk about it. And certainly Lolita's an experienced teacher sure. and she doesn't mind, you know, giving a little demonstration. Um, and you couldn't find anyone who makes you feel more at ease with it than Lolita, yeah, really. You know actually. I mean? And so what happened, of course, is that once people began to see see something that they'd not really thought about or thought about in a strange way become a part of something that they saw in a familiar way by this time our orgy was a part of people's lives right um people were lining up to try it out right you know to say like oh i i would like to try that i would like to be flogged or learn how to flog right. and it became another fun thing to do at the party right and so our party took on a kind of kink element which was really welcome and and a fun new experience that I wouldn't have come up with on my own yeah. except that I'd gone to a place learned about it been exposed to it and brought it back I have heard from my gay friends that the gay parties are completely different yeah than the more hetero or bi parties um turnout relaxation they say that everything is just completely it's just more relaxed is, do, you, do you find that to be true I don't know if it's more relaxed, but it's a, there. There are it's it it it's a bit of a different culture. Yeah. Um, when I started having all male parties, I'd organize on my own things like uh, all male threesomes or something like that. But I, when I began to do parties and get really into, I I I became aware of myself. Like my kink is that I like to make things happen. Right. So I like to facilitate stuff. And so once I started throwing parties, I, you know, I'm, I'm just as turned on buying the watermelon for the party as I am at the party. <laughs> and I'm, if everybody's having a good time and the music's playing, that's great. And then, then if I'm, you know, having sex, that's also good. Sure. Um, but I, I, I like that part of it. And I went to a fellow's party, a guy who was throwing an all male party and he was doing it in a, in a really tiny apartment on the Upper West Side. And I got there and I put all my clothes in a bag. There was porn blasting on a TV. There was lots of music. Um, and the, the foreplay was essentially someone walking up to me and like grabbing my ass and me like either nodding or not nodding or, right. you know, um, and just with eye contact, you begin to establish things like, are you a top? Are you a bottom? Or sure. whatever. And then you just kind of get to it. And the sort of breakaway from that 
experience, the intensity of that was to go to the kitchen where there are lots of guys just kind of hanging out, drinking soda and talking and talking about theater, talking about all these things. And I got to know the guy who had that party. So I said, you know, I'd like to work with you because I think this is really interesting for, you know, as an experience for me. This was a fun party and I don't go to parties like this. So we began to work together. And so he was responsible for creating the list and I was responsible for helping to make the party happen. Sure. Uh, my addition to that party was that I created a space where people could socialize before or after, but I kept the cruisy aspect intact because I thought that was really good. Um, but the social interaction worked out really nicely. People did like to meet each other and they would, you know, sometimes would all go out to dinner afterwards or something. The biggest difference for me in terms of uh, hosting at this time in my life, I should say I was hosting. Now remember I, I, I had uh joint custody of my kids, which means I only had like 15 free nights a month. I was hosting orgies five of those nights. I was doing my mixed party, my mixed buy party. Uh, I was doing this uh, all-male party, and I was hosting an, um, a black and Latino couples party. I'm not black, nor am I Latino, um, nor a couple, right. but I knew how to throw a party. And so I was, I was involved in these various different cultures that were happening in the same space uh, by my design. Uh, and they were all quite different from one another. Now, with the all-male party, we would get started at a certain time, and things would be really underway not long afterward. And about an hour and a half later, everybody's gone. And I would, I would, I would make dates for nights that I had gay male orgies. I would have an, really? I would have an all-male orgy, and then I go to a girlfriend's house and hang out and have sex and you know watch watch a movie because it, you could just count on. It being short, there's not much people are doing this on their way to do the next thing they're going to do. And the cruising is easy. The establishment of roles is pretty simple. Um, people might socialize afterwards with each other. They might hook up there to go some other place. Not really what the thing is about. But when I had the mixed parties, I came to realize that like for every woman I added to the party, I was adding an additional 20 minutes of conversation at the beginning of the party <laughs> because the women, people would get that the women would always show up on time. It just I don't know I don't know what guides this, but women would show up on time. We would have food out, we'd have drinks, they'd take their clothes off, we'd sit around, hang out, and the guys would just kind of show up when they showed up. And once we had a critical mass of guys, I would say, "Okay, let's have a party," right. and the people start pairing off and doing their thing. Right. But it was a very different kind of. I couldn't imagine a party where I had men and women and just told them to put their clothes in a bag and get to it. So, you know, and, and I've only heard this obviously because I'm not a I'm not a lesbian, but I've heard. Very recently, of someone who went to uh, a hotel lesbian orgy, mm -hmm. all women, and she said that the attitude was very much, "Hey, we're all friends. Let's we're here to get off. So let's get this party going." And again, it was very similar. It was very short. Things didn't happen that were very complicated. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what? I wonder why that is. Because my initial question is: is is are the gay male parties are they sort sort of like, all right, let's get down to business because guys are wired this way, or is it because uh, gay culture is is such that they're used to having to do quickies. You know, it's, it comes from you know, having to sneak off somewhere so they don't get caught, right? I don't know the answer to these questions, of course. I, I don't, don't uh, I, 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 you know, prior to the end of my marriage and prior to dating and prior to having children, if you asked me the differences between men and women, I would have, I would have been very uh, uncomfortable with anything that said that, you know, men are this way and women are that way. I was, right. I'm, I'm too much of a feminist. I would have been like, no, that's not true. You know, it's like, we're all, uh, we're all equal. Um, 
once I and I have uh, I have two girls and two boys. Raising girls has just been so different than raising boys, even in the same household, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm like, oh, wow, you know, these are these are like different animals. And then having the parties, too, and dating multiple, you know, date, and dating as a bisexual, men and women. Uh, one thing that just continuously surprises me is that if I have sex with a woman, I have almost assuredly entered into a two-year relationship. I'm, I, we're going to see each other for a while. Uh, we're going to hope it goes well and it'll go to a certain point and uh, we'll see what happens. Right. I can have the hottest sex ever with a guy. Just tr- tremendous sex. He'd be lying in bed afterwards and he's like panting. It's like, oh my God, that's the hottest sex I ever had. Right. And I'm like, that was great. And he's like, yeah, we should get together again. Yeah, we should totally get together. You change phone numbers, never hear from him. Right. And I'm, I don't know what to attribute that to. I, I think there's something in... When it comes to the parties, I mean, I think that there is something in the distinction between cultures. There is a gay culture for origin. And every party is different. Every party within every party culture is different. Right. But there are certain things that play forward in different party cultures and stuff. And I, I, I do think that uh, what's what's developed as, you know, kind of the gay attitude to cruising, uh, it would be really hard to replicate outside of that culture. Uh, one thing that I have always wanted to talk to someone about is is being kinky, sexually open, and having kids, and how do you balance the two? Mm-hmm. And uh, we can talk about you know some of the some of the speed bumps you've run upon in doing so <laughs> as well. But um, how how did you how did you manage that in your you know you'd have a sex party and then you'd also have your kids over you know a few days later or, or how did you how did you do that? How did you, did you just sequester it completely and you wouldn't have anything to do with it? You wouldn't answer emails, or you wouldn't. Or I mean, how did you make that that jump? Well, parents parents who are kinky can find themselves in any number of circumstances that they have to resolve in any number of ways. Uh, for myself, I was rediscovering my sexuality uh, after divorce, uh, approaching middle age with joint custody. So I like to me, dating was just as weird as having an orgy mm-hmm. or, you know, dating a woman, which is the strangest hooking up with a man. It was all weird because right. it was all outside the experience that I'd had for the last 15 years, which was monogamy. Sure. So for the I, what I decided for myself was that I was going to when I was with my kids, I was just going to be with my kids and I wasn't going to have any uh, bleed through between these two lives. I wasn't going to introduce anybody to my kids as dad's girlfriend. Right. Because I, the kids had a mom. They didn't need a stepmother. I didn't want to enter into a relationship with somebody that would be like that. I wanted to, to explore what was out there in the world for myself. And I didn't want my kids to meet anybody or any series of people who would be presented as dad's girlfriend, who they would look to and have as a part of their life. And then if it didn't work out between me and that person, then they lost that person too. Right. And I, I mean, that's just not something I want to put my kids through. Um, about the stories, it sounds like you've got, you've experienced a new medium to, to share who you are with people. And yeah. What has that been like? Well, um, and how did, how did you decide, Hey, I'm, I want to stand up and tell people about this. I, I had been very guarded about any kind of public appearance prior to the custody case just because I wanted to keep my anonymity. And also I liked that people had to bring their own idea of what I looked like, sounded like to, to, to my writing. But I, I had a, uh, my friend Lori uh, took me to the moth 
which is a storytelling event that happens in several cities in the United States, and it's on NPR, and it's a great thing to listen to where people is storytelling. Awesome podcast. Awesome podcast. Yep. Uh, and she, you, you put your name in your hat, and they pull ten people, and you have five minutes to tell your story. So Lori, who does a blog, uh, Kinky Sticks, which is great, uh, got called second, won that night. It's competitive. People judge, and she won. Uh, and they used her story as a podcast. I think I heard that one. It's a, it's our first date. She doesn't oh, mention me by that's name, hilarious. but it's our first date. And so I saw that. I thought that's amazing. And she was phenomenal. And in the that. crowd reacted very positively, if the memory oh. serves, too. It, it, the crowd just loved her. Right. I mean, there was something so endearing about the way she presented her story, and um, you, you could totally identify with her, which made the unusualness of the circumstances all the more extraordinary. Right. Um, she's a really good storyteller. And so I saw that. I thought, well, I would like to try that sometime. And so my first experiences as a storyteller were telling, but I wanted to do it as Jefferson and wanted to see if I could talk about some of the things, the same things I talk about in my blog in front of people. Right. And the people I chose happened to be people who listened to NPR and, you know, go to, go to storytelling events in Greenwich Village and the thing sells out every time. So it's a big crowd. Yeah. And, and people stand in line for an hour to get into this. They're really yeah. devoted. And I got up my first few times and I felt like I didn't win them over quite the same way Lori did. I mean, I, I did okay. I felt like I did all right. Um, but I, what I was learning was I can't necessarily tell an extor- a story in the same way I tell it on the blog in front of people. Right. Because they're hearing, they see me. They hear my voice, but they're in a room full of people. They're not home by themselves reading words on a computer screen, you know. So, so they're not going to get aroused and masturbate or something. They like, they might be a little nervous hearing it. You no, know, that when someone goes to your blog, they're seeking it out, or else they're either stumble upon it and then they're continuing to expose themselves. Yeah, exactly. To it. And when you're in front of like a situation, like a moth situation, they don't know what they're going to get, and all of a sudden it's brought in, brought to them, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the moth nights are thematic. You have a, a theme for the yeah, meeting. Yeah. But the person before might talk about a weird thing that happened at work, and I get up and talk about something that happened in an orgy. Yeah. Um, so I, I learned that, I, and you only have five minutes. And it, having done it well one time doesn't carry forward to the next time. Sure. You have to, like, introduce yourself in some way or other every single time you get up on stage. Yeah. You, you begin to develop a following. People know who you are. So this was a couple of years ago, and uh, New York has a really vibrant storytelling community. And... Uh, I got to know other people, get up on other stages, uh, get up on stages that deal with all kinds of different subject matters. Science, there's a story collider is a great storytelling thing here in the city. Uh, Standard Issues is terrific. I performed with a BTK band, which was amazing. It's like a live band improvising behind me while I'm telling a story. Really? They don't know what the story is until I'm telling it. It's an extraordinary experience to be a part of this this community, and it's a really creative thing. And uh, it... You know, I, I, I was I was an art student who made art about my life. I was a blogger who blogged about my life. And now I'm telling stories about my life and I'm getting better at it. And people can identify with it in some respects if I'm doing it right. Uh, they made the idea of being in an orgy or being in a kinky scene or whatever, maybe alien. But I do. This, and that's not the early stories I tell. I tell pa- stories about parenting. Yeah. I talk about the custody case. I talk about the loss of uh, my boyfriend from high school to AIDS. There are all kinds of things that are within the realm of stories that I can tell as Jefferson that are doing very well at these at these events. It's great. And I, I know there's one. You've been uh, on a podcast of one of them, yeah. at least. Uh, have there been others? Did you on 
if someone wants to hear, can they? Can is there? Yeah, right now uh, there's this podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can go to the Risk Show, Kevin mm-hmm. Allison's Risk Show. Uh, I'm in the episode called Perverse. Okay. Question mark. Hey, that's an easy one. Uh, that's and I'm on Standard Issues uh, episode nine. I think it was called Disastrous. Uh, and these are free downloads at iTunes. Awesome. Yeah, and more are coming because I'm just getting more and more confident about. For me, it was like a, it's a breakdown of both feeling confident about my abilities as a storyteller, but also associating this voice that comes out of my head with Jefferson right. and not simply me. Sure. But I, I, I well, thank you very much for sharing at least part of your story here today. Hopefully, we'll, you'll be willing to come back and share some more in the future. Sure, absolutely. Thanks to Jefferson, and um, thank you for listening. And more emails. I'd always appreciate some more emails. Massacast at gmail.com. Hope you have a good couple of weeks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.